I don't know if you've noticed, but houses in our city have been going like crazy, just selling like crazy. We notice in our neighborhood that houses will go on the market and almost immediately they're sold, which means within a few weeks, maybe a, a month or more, we're going to have new neighbors moving in. And I don't know how you are with new neighbors, but I love meeting new people. To be honest, though, some new neighbors you click with almost right away or you grow into that relationship, right? And then there are those you don't have all that much in common with, right? Some neighbors, you just become fast friends almost immediately, fire up the grill, and there's burgers and dogs cooking almost right away. And then there are those that, well, someone might say to you, hey, we need to get together sometime, but you kind of get the feeling that they don't really mean it. They're just being polite. Ann and I recently met some neighbors in our in our. Uh, neighborhood who had, uh, they're kind of new to us. We hadn't met them before. We went to this Fourth uh, of July party that our neighborhood threw, and it was a lot of fun. And so we're meeting all these different people and seeing some old friends and whatnot. But this lady came up to us and she said, Now, who are you guys? And we're introducing ourselves, and she introduced herself. And then she said, Where do you live? And Anne's explaining to her where we lived. And then the lady says to me, She looks right at me and she goes, are you the preacher? To which I smiled and I said, yeah, that's me. And she goes, oh, oh, okay. And within about 30 seconds, she just kind of faded into the crowd. I kind of got the impression that I didn't click with her. I'm, I'm not sure why, but I, I don't see us barbecuing anytime soon, though I'm hopeful, I will see, I'm optimistic. Regardless of if you click with the people who moved in across the street or not, I can tell you how you're supposed to treat them. You see, the Bible talks about this. It's crystal clear. This is what it says. Love your neighbor as yourself. In fact, it says this eight times in the Bible. One of those places where it says it is Mark, the 12th chapter, starting with verse 28. This is what it says. One of the teachers of the law came and heard them debating. Noticing that Jesus had given them a good answer, he asked him, of all the commandments, which is the most important? The most important one, answered Jesus, is this. Hear, O Israel, the Lord our God, the Lord is one. Love the Lord your God with all your heart and with all your soul and with all your mind and with all your strength. The second is this. Love your neighbor as yourself. There is no commandment greater than these. <clears throat> Love your neighbor as yourself is called the golden rule. It's a universally recognized principle it's widely accepted as truth that should be practiced by everyone. Everybody believes that. I remember being in junior high school, junior high school Sunday school class at the church where I grew up. The teacher that day was Mr. Henshaw, and he was talking about this text that deals with the golden rule. And as he explained the scripture where Jesus says, love your neighbor as yourself, my mind started working. I started to play that idea 
out, seeing how far it would go and the difference that it might make. And it's unlikely, it was unlikely at the time, but as a junior high boy, that day I had this deep spiritual thought. It has suddenly become aware. I had this conscious awareness of this powerfully important truth that God was putting in my my heart and my mind. I remember thinking, if everyone treated everyone else the way they wanted to be treated, then there would be no more arguing or, or fighting. In fact, there would be no more wars. If the world lived this way, we could have world peace. Junior high boy thinking that way. Maybe that's what God had in mind when he gave us this command. This principle of loving your neighbor as yourself still holds true today, though the idealism of a junior high boy has lost some of its zeal. It's faded a little bit. And I've become a bit more realistic over time. We may not be able to convince the entire world to love your neighbor as yourself in order to usher in world peace. But I do believe that we can love our neighbors and bless a few people along the way. Jesus said, love your neighbor as yourself. Question is, what does this love actually look like? Well, to start with, the Greek word for love is agape. Agape love is a little different than the other words that are used in the Bible to describe love. Agape is not a feeling. It requires action. Agape is sacrificial love that voluntarily suffers inconvenience, discomfort, maybe even death for the benefit of another person without expecting anything in return. It's an unconditional kind of love. We're called to agape or love through the example of Jesus. That's where we get this picture Paul writes in Ephesians 5, verses 1 through 2, he says, Follow God's example, therefore, as dearly loved children, and walk in the way of love, just as Christ loved us and gave himself up for us as a fragrant offering and sacrifice to God. Agape love is beautifully described in a chapter in the book of 1 Corinthians, chapter 13. In fact, this is known as the love chapter. In verses 4 through 8, Paul gives us a number of examples to help us define in a practical way just how, what agape love looks like. Now, if you hang with me, I want to fly through this passage and look at a number of these. The first is this, love is patient. If you want to agape someone, be patient. Loving people tolerate the shortcomings of others because they know they have faults also. Paul goes on, love is kind. Kind people treat others with respect and compassion. Love does not envy. Loving people aren't jealous of the success of others. Love does not, does not boast, it is not proud. Loving people don't put others down by bragging about themselves. Love is not rude. Loving people don't treat others indecently. Or coarsely, love is not self-seeking. 
Loving people don't attempt to advance their own interests at the expense of others. Paul goes on, love is not easily angered. Loving people don't explode with anger or rage. They don't instantly lash out verbally at others. Love keeps no record of wrongs, which means loving people don't keep bringing up past failures in an attempt to wound another person or control that person. Love does not delight in evil. Loving people don't rejoice when they see others sinning. And they don't weaponize that information to later use against them. Love rejoices with the truth. Loving people don't try to lie their way out of a situation. Rather, when they've made a mistake, they instead accept responsibility for it. They stand for truth. Love always protects. Loving people willingly overlook the faults of others and won't betray them. Love trusts, always trusts. Loving people never lose faith in others. They remain faithful in spite of a person's shortcomings. And love always hopes. Loving people keep looking ahead to better days because they know that God has sent his Holy Spirit to work out his will in his people. And love always perseveres. Loving people are going to stand firm with you in the midst of the trial and the adversities. They're people you can always count on. And then finally, Paul wraps up this tutorial on agape love with one final verb for love. He says, love never fails. Love never fails. Paul's emphasizing that you can always count on agape love. Love never will fall. Agape love will never fail. Imagine how the world might be different if more people love their neighbors this way. Hey, you might even get the opportunity. When you love someone like this, you might get the opportunity to share with them about Jesus. You know, the Barna Group, which is a research organization similar to Gallup or Rasmussen, they do polling. They recently surveyed people like our neighbors, like our friends, who who were asking what people value in a person with whom they would be willing to talk about spiritual matters with. And the top three responses they published, and here's here's the top response that Barna found of what a person would be like that you would be willing to have a conversation with about spiritual matters. This is what they said, someone who would listen without judgment. You know, listening is one of the purest acts of love, if you think about it. People value that friend who will lean in to hear what they have to say. They want a friend who's going to assume best intentions of them. They want to be heard by us, but not so that we can render some verdict about what they think or believe, but rather to help them process their feelings and their experiences in the safety of that relationship. The depressing news is that two-thirds of those Barna surveyed said they had no one in their life who would listen to them without judgment. I think a lot of times we think about communication, we think about being able to articulate what we think or how we feel in a, in a convincing and, and, and 
persuasive way. But listening is a vital part of communication. Instead of listening with intent to understand what our friends are trying to explain to us, oftentimes our mind is focused on crafting that that powerful response, so the next thing that we're going to say. A great way to develop the skill of active listening is to periodically ask a clarifying question. It gives you an opportunity to make sure you understand what they're saying, and at the same time, it is signaling to your friend that you are focused and interested in what they're sharing. Here's the encouraging thing about this. Listening without judgment is something that we can all do. This is agape love. It's being patient, not self-seeking. In fact, listening is a very kind thing. Listening is one of the kindest actions one can give to another person. Well, the second response that Barna found that came from the survey of what people value in a person that they'd be willing to talk to about spiritual matters is that a person who would allow them to draw their own conclusions. You know, your neighbors and friends are not projects. They're people. They have souls. They're looking for friends who will allow them to learn and discover truth at their own pace. They may, be, they may move farther and faster than you, or they may move much slower than you. But they have their own pace that they're learning and growing. A friend won't force them into conclusions, but instead will help them along the way on their spiritual journey. Our friends want us to love them like Paul described in 1 Corinthians 13. They want us to listen to them and interact with them, but it's important to let God draw them to him. Don't get in the way of that. The gospel is true. And if someone is sincerely searching for truth, then the gospel will prove itself to them. Be a friend to your neighbor. And trust God to do his part in this as well. Well, the third response that came from the Barna survey was this. They want someone who has confidence in sharing their own perspective. Once you've listened to your neighbor, once you've given them plenty of time to come to their own conclusion, the research shows that it is then that people are open, even interested in hearing what we have to share The value of our perspective is something that they have when we're confident in our own beliefs. They want to know our stories. They want to hear about our experiences. Our sharing will be relevant to them if, and only if, it's genuine and coming from a place of personal conviction. We really believe this. And they'll listen to that. Earning the right to tell your story is really important. Your story is the best evidence that you can offer personally, anyone, because it's actually an example of how the gospel can impact a person's life. You're a living, breathing example of what grace can do. 
This is a game changer when you have a healthy relationship with a person and they allow you to share the difference that the grace of God has made in your past, in your present, and even in your future. If we were to summarize what Barna's research revealed, it's simply this. People are all around us are looking for a friend. You have neighbors who live near you, work near you, play near you, who are looking for a friend. Again, looking at what the research shows, they want someone who listens without judgment, offers wise counsel, but allows them to make their own decisions, and then loves them no matter what, even when they get it wrong in your mind. That's what you call a friend. And your neighbors are looking for a friend. I would make the strong statement to say, I think they're looking for you. So who are these people Jesus calls our neighbors? I know when we think about our neighbors, most of us think that we live, it's the people we live near, who live near our home or our apartment complex. But when Jesus was asked, who is my neighbor, he gave clarity to the, the answer of who our neighbor really is. We find this discourse in Luke, the 10th chapter. <clears throat> One day, Jesus was questioned by an expert of the Old Testament law, asking, what do we need to do to get into heaven? And the reply that this man gave was, or what Jesus, Jesus replied to him was simply this, what does the Old Testament law say? Well, the expert in the law responded with Luke chapter 10, verse 27. He said, love the Lord your God with all your heart and with all your soul and with all your strength and with all your mind, and love your neighbor as yourself. And Jesus responded in so many words. He said, that's right. Go and do that. Go and do that. And then the expert asked, almost as if an afterthought, this qualifying question. He says, and who is my neighbor? And who is my neighbor? So Jesus answered by using a parable. It was common for him to use a story uh, that kind of explained this. But he tells this parable about a man who is on his way between Jerusalem and Jericho. He's on a journey. Now we assume, because he's talking to Jews, everyone assumes this man is a Jewish man. While on his journey, he is mugged. And these muggers beat him, they stole his clothes, and they left him for half, he was half dead. Shortly after the mugging, a priest came along. And he sees this man there dying, and he crosses over to the other side of the road. Never stops to render aid. And then shortly after that, another religious leader, a Levite, comes along. And he sees the same scenario. Man is there, half dead. And he crosses to the other side of the road. And then a Samaritan man comes along. And most of you may know this, but the, there was great hostility between Jews and Samaritans. They hated each other. But this Samaritan stopped. He saw the man, and he rendered aid to him. Jesus said he bandaged up his wounds, and he put him on his donkey, and he took him to the nearest motel, and it was there that he took care of him. And then he paid the equivalent of two days' wages kind of put it on tab there at the motel to cover the cost of this man's care because the Samaritan man had to move on his way. 
And as the Samaritan was leaving, he promised the motel owner, he said, next time I'm through, if there's any balance left over that went beyond what I've left you, I will cover the cost next time I'm here. There's a lot going on in this parable. But one key point is this. Our neighbor isn't restricted to those who live on our street or in the same apartment complex. Your neighbor is a group of people who God has placed around you where you live, where you work, and where you play. Start thinking about those people who you interact with at the office or at the golf course or gym or the Little League. Maybe it's a person who works in accounting or someone who works in sales or in the cubicle near yours. Or maybe it's somebody you see at the pool or someone whose kids play with your kids. Be on the lookout for people who cross your path. Those are your neighbors too. You see, the Samaritan probably never saw this Jewish man ever again. But Jesus said they were neighbors. That's who he's talking about. That's who he's saying that you and I should love as we love ourselves. You see, Jesus, he didn't just talk about the theology of who our neighbor was, but he actually lived it. Even though he was a busy rabbi and, and he was in high demand most everywhere he went, he still had time for his neighbors. Let me give you a couple examples. One is found in Mark, the 10th chapter. It says, once when some mothers were bringing their children to Jesus to bless them, the disciples shooed them away, telling them not to bother him. When Jesus learns what's going on, he's displeased, the text says. That means he is not happy with his disciples for shooing these little kids away from him. Look what he says in verse 14. He says, let the children come to me. Don't send them away. Verse 16, then he took the children into his arms and placed his hands on their heads and he blessed them. Children in that day <clears throat> wouldn't have been a priority for most rabbis, but they were a priority to Jesus. Safe to say he wasn't like most rabbis. Well, there's another example found in Luke, the 19th chapter, which shows us how different Jesus was from any other rabbi. It's, it says, Jesus entered Jericho and was passing through. A man was there by the name of Zacchaeus. He was a chief tax collector and was wealthy. He wanted to see who Jesus was, but because he was short, he couldn't see over the crowd. So he ran ahead and climbed a sycamore fig tree to see him since Jesus was coming that way. Jesus was just passing through, Luke tells us. He wasn't going to Jericho. He was just driving through Jericho. He was on his way somewhere else. Jericho wasn't on the itinerary, but Jesus saw an opportunity to bless a guy who needed a real blessing in a bad, bad way. It was Zacchaeus, and he knew that spending time with him would be worth adjusting his plans. One thing that I don't want us to miss is that Jesus decided to stop in Jericho to have dinner with probably the most hated man in the entire city. You see, Zacchaeus was a tax collector. In fact, Luke tells us he's a chief tax collector. He's been doing this for a long time. 
He was a Jew who worked for the Roman government. A tax collector in that day was seen as a traitor to the Jewish people by the Jewish people. He made his living cheating his own people. See, regardless of the tax rate that you were required to pay by the Romans, a tax collector would always routinely inflate the rate and pocket the difference. And that's why Zacchaeus was so wealthy. It's also why he was so despised and seen as a traitor. Yet regardless of all of that, Jesus invited himself to dinner at Zacchaeus' house. And in that day, sharing a meal with another person in their home was a clear act of friendship. Jesus wanted to go to have dinner with Zacchaeus. And to Zacchaeus, that was a tremendous blessing to him. I wonder when was the last time that someone, anyone, wanted to have dinner with Zacchaeus, the chief tax collector in Jericho. My guess, it, was, it had been a long time since any of that had ever taken place. It may have been years, and now this popular rabbi says, I'm going to your house. Will that work for you? I'm coming over for dinner. Luke records that Zacchaeus gladly welcomed Jesus to his home. This act of kindness toward Zacchaeus blessed him so much that he immediately promised to give away almost everything that he owned. That day, Zacchaeus found salvation. Jesus put it this way in Luke 19, verses 9 and 10. He says, today salvation has come to this house because this man, too, is a son of Abraham. For the Son of Man came to seek and to save the lost. Think about how significant this blessing from Jesus was for Zacchaeus. He was detested by his own countrymen for being a traitor, and yet Jesus calls him a son of Abraham. He's just like one of us. Jesus gave us the command to love your neighbor as yourself. He probably gave it to us as a command because if he just suggested it, most of us probably wouldn't have done it. But Jesus didn't just give us the command. He showed us who our neighbors are and how to love them. You know, we started this year, 2021, with a focus that after all the struggles that so many of us have gone through over the last year, year and a half, we wanted to let those around us, our neighbors here in Hamburg, we wanted them to know that we're here for them, that we love them, that we, we truly care about them. And we know it's been a hard year, so we wanted to create a way to communicate to them that they matter to us. So we decided that we were gonna throw a party. Several months ago, we started planning this party for our neighbors here in Hamburg, and we called this the We Love the 40509 Block Party. If you've been around here recently, you've heard us talking about this event quite a bit, unapologetically. This party will have games, inflatables, food, all of this, all kinds of stuff. And it's all gonna be free. And the purpose is to do something that says to our neighbors, you matter to us. Truthfully, you matter to us. 
We want them to be blessed. We want them to experience, if possible, the love of God through us. As your leader, I want to invite you to join me in blessing our neighbors. And here's how you can play a part to make this party so awesome. First of all, I want to encourage you to invite your neighbors, people who live near you, work near you, play near you, if they live here in the 40509 or even if they live beyond that, I want to invite you to invite them to be part of this event. This isn't about us. It's about them. This is a party for them. So let them know that they're invited. And maybe they'll come with you if you extend that invitation. Secondly, I want to encourage you to sign up. Serve one hour. You can serve more than that, but sign up for one hour and then just be a part of engaging and showing people, you know, that they matter to us and just welcoming them the rest of the time during the party. And then thirdly, you can invest to help defray the cost. You may not be able to be here. You may be able to be here. You can serve, but you can also invest. And finally, I want to ask you to pray. Pray that every person who comes to this block party will be blessed. They'll feel that they truly matter to us at Northeast. What if you could bless your neighbors like this? I mean, you might be thinking, I can't throw a block party, but, but maybe you could in your neighborhood. But maybe, you, maybe it's a little overwhelming or it kind of makes you anxious and freaks you out a little bit to think that you would do that. So how does an individual personally, without the help of a big block party, how do they bless their neighbors? Well, it's actually simpler than you might think. Next week, we're going to start a new series titled Bless. And it comes from a book. The title comes from a book written by Dave Ferguson, who's a minister at the Community Christian Church in Chicago. This book is a study of several ways the Bible reveals on how Jesus blessed people. And in the process, in the process he changed their eternity. It's been a tremendous resource for this upcoming series, as well as this message today. And I'd recommend it to anybody who would like to go deeper into understanding how they personally could bless their neighbors. Over the next few weeks, we're going to look at ordinary, commonplace ways that every Christ follower could use to love their neighbor. And in the process of loving their neighbors, we may just get the opportunity to introduce a few of them to Jesus and change their life for all eternity. I want to close with this. In 1961, President John F. Kennedy, in a speech, famously said this, the only thing necessary for the triumph of evil is for good men to do nothing. I want you to think about that for a moment. Let's not just sit on the sidelines when it comes to our friends and our neighbors. Let's get involved and let's love them.
the way we would want to be loved. Hey, what an encouraging word from our lead pastor, Monty, today is as we just get a look into his heart and what God is calling us towards as a church. So encouraging, such a great time of worship. And hey, I tell you why, because as we talk today, hey, we have two events that are right around the corner that we are so excited about here at Northeast. Okay, And hey, one of those is the back to school drive. It's going on right now. In fact, if you came to our lobby here, you would see a, a place where you can put all these back to school items, okay? And it's in partnership with, with Liberty Elementary, literally can, can hit it with a rock from here, okay? Our brothers and sisters, our neighbors over at Liberty Elementary, as we partner with them, right, to, to give these kids supplies that they may not be able to get. And so, hey, if you go to ncclex.org events, you click on the back to school tab, you're gonna find a list of things that we're collecting as a church to give to students as they head back to school. And so that's one way. And then, hey, another way is we got the block party coming up, y'all. The We Love 40519 block party, August 15th, four o'clock. If you've been hanging out with us and you've definitely heard us talking about how excited we are to throw a no strings attached block party for our neighborhood here in the 40509. We've been talking to businesses, talking with, with Liberty and Liberty families, and we are so excited that it's all coming together August 15th. And we're so excited that there's been such a response from our church, from Northeast, because we said, hey, it's going to take a village. It's going to take so many volunteers to, to put this thing off right. And you guys said, yes. And there's still some spots to fill, and there's still some, some things on the Amazon wish list that we can take care of. But hey, thank you so much for being the hands and feet, for saying yes. And hey, there's still time if you're like, hey, I wanna be a part of that. I wanna be a part of that that awesome event and just loving on the community here in the 40509. There's still time, ncclex.org slash events. Click on the block party tab. Hey, all the information is there. Hey, we've gotten to worship together in a ton of ways today. It's been incredible as we've we've sang together, we've prayed together, we took communion together, and, and now we worship through gifts of generosity. And hey, we want to say thank you. Thank you to you you Northeast owners who have have stepped up into that step of faith and said, yes, I want to be, I want to be a part of what God is doing at Northeast through financial backing, being the hands and feet so that we can do block parties. We can have summer events where kids can come and hear the gospel. We can continue to do these weekend things where we get to gather together both in person and online. It's truly incredible what God is doing not just through Northeast, but across the world as the gospel continues to spread to those who are in so need of hope and joy in the future. So, hey, however you give, if it's online, if it's through the app, if it's through the mail, doesn't matter. Thank you. Thank you for saying yes. Thank you for believing and thank you for being a part of what God is doing here at Northeast. And know that your gifts of generosity are having an impact both locally and globally. Well, hey, it's been a great day as we've worshiped together again, and we look forward to seeing you back next week, okay, at one of our new service times, okay, in person or online, 9.30 or 11 o'clock. Hey, we'll see you there.